Well, we are in a series that that I'm calling "We Are the Church," and uh, last week we talked about "I Am." That was the title of last week's sermon, and it was all about this: "I Am the Church." It's it's not a building, it's not a place, it's a people, and and we are those people. And last week we talked about how uh, there was a temple, but when Jesus died for us. The veil was torn, and then and then Paul explains to us so clearly that we are now his temple, that Jesus comes to live in us, that, that we don't go to a place to encounter Jesus or his presence, but his presence abides in us. And because of that, his work comes through us. Now, I hope some of you this week had a fresh opportunity or a fresh view to say, hey, I am the church. If something's going to get done, I got to do it. Right? And that brings us to action. And, and last week we talked about how it pulls us out of consumerism because we aren't here to consume, but the Spirit is in us to give us the power to do the will of the Father as His temple, as His church. All right, that was last week's sermon. I better stop. I'm going to get fired up about it again. So, as His church, I, I promise this week we're going to start getting really practical about what the church does. And if you're a guest with us today, I just want to share, if, if you're not a member of Victory Church, that's okay. Maybe you're not even a member of God's family yet. That's okay. Let me tell you, you're in the right place. Um, but today we're just going to talk about what it looks like for the church to be the church in one specific way. And sometimes um, as the church, and, and right now I'm speaking in terms of not so much as us, but maybe as an organization, as the church it is easy to like set a set a mission and then we do a whole lot of stuff trying to go towards it. And that's really good. But sometimes what that ends up being is, is that we might lose sight of what Jesus really set up for us to do, what he really instructed us to do. Uh, and I think of it a little bit like this. I heard this analogy this week in my study and I just I thought it was so good. Do we have any golfers here? Show of hands. All right, this should raise more hands. Anyone who has ever wanted to try to play golf? Okay, come on, raise your hand high. It's a little more embarrassing. Sometimes that group can cross over. You don't really know what group you're in. I've been more in the latter myself. And um, when you're trying to learn to play golf, where should you start? Who can tell me where you should start when you're trying to learn to play golf? Just first time, where's the first place to go? Is it the first tee box? Probably not. Driving range. Thank you, Darren. The driving range is the place to start. And now I've, I've experienced this. That's where I started. And I had a grandfather who was a pretty good golfer. He, he taught us all to play golf, um, or tried to his chagrin. Um, I didn't quite catch the gene. I've been trying, but it just hasn't, I, it just hasn't stuck yet. But he started us. He was a, the type of teacher. He was a good teacher and he took us to the driving range and he said, boys, we're going to start here. So me and two brothers, we, we're at the driving range, and, and we just start hitting balls, right? And, and he's just giving us the basics of a swing, and uh, he was a good teacher. I don't know that that was his best lesson because the outcome wasn't great. But when, when you start on a driving range, here's my point. In about two or three minutes, if you can make good ball contact, you will start to believe, I think I could do this. That's the trick of golf, honestly. It's like on the driving range, I mean, you can really can convince yourself in just a few minutes, like, I think I could be ready for the tour. 
the, the problem is, mo- a lot of us have been there. Some of us never touched a golf club in your life, and that's okay. But the problem is, is like, you can think, hey, I'm doing this really well. But then you get on that tee box, and all of a sudden there's a target. There's something to actually go for. And, and the work that you do and your capability gets a little bit exposed, if you know what I mean. I, I was playing golf with my family on vacation down south this summer, and I remember um, my little brother, 18 months younger than me, he actually got married last month, and uh, we were we were on a tee box, and it was one of those setups where um, there were there were side by side fairways and greens, and he lined up to hit it towards the wrong green. Now, as a good brother, I had an option at that moment. I could say, Ethan, you're lined up to the wrong green, or I could just see how's this going to play out. And so, like a good brother, I, I took the latter option. And he hit a beautiful shot. Uh, just a beautiful shot. I mean, I, it was one of those that I was like, if I could hit that shot, I would be really proud. The problem was, it was towards the wrong green. So, so it, it, what we do is, it, we're playing in a group, and as soon as he hits it, it wasn't just me. There were many of us that could have said, Ethan, wrong green, and we didn't say anything. And so, um, it was a good laugh. But, Here's my point, is that Jesus gave us a really clear target to aim for. See, we have a whole of scripture, 66 books. Sometimes we get lost in like, what is the goal of all of this? And Jesus made it really clear. And and in the most brilliant way, he gave it as like the last instruction. Yeah, through his three and a half years of ministry, he had 12 disciples with him. At this moment, he just had 11. And, and he gives these guys a, a commandment that it's the target that they are to go for and that we are to go for. It's for all of us. And that was called the Great Commission. And in the most brilliant way, Jesus, knowing that, that he had shared a lot, knowing that he taught a lot, he, he took it down and he just said, all right, guys, this is, I'm going to share this instruction with you as the last thing, right? He's about to go up to heaven and, and he gives him the great commission right before he leaves, which is great because I don't know if you're like me, but like if someone gives you a lot of instructions, uh, it's easiest just, just to remember the last one. So here's what it is. Here's, here's the great commission. And if you got your Bible, it's in Matthew 28. So starting in verse 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. More on that in a few minutes. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, uh, and this is really the meat of it in this next few verses. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is what our sermon is about today. It's, it's all about th- this text right here. So we're going we're gonna to hang out here. And what I want to do is I want to take three key observations and just dive into them a little bit together. 
Um, these, these observations, by the way, they're not unique. Matt was sitting in, Matt was sitting in his office this week in the presence of the Lord. And I was like, this observation, no one has ever thought of this before. Here's the reason why is because Jesus made it clear so that we could all understand it. Right? So this isn't some like special message that's for Matt. Actually, uh, I, I struggled a little bit, um, last night in particular, because that I actually had a little bit of trouble sleeping over this sermon because I was like, this is really, really, really simple. Like, I'm not sure if I'm just borrowing this from other sermons I've ever, I've heard or if this is really what's for the church today. But I really, I really have come to believe it is. So I just want to make three key observations from the passage as we look through the verses. And, and so let's just, let's read it again so we, so we can hear it. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So observation one comes right from the start of that statement. Jesus makes a claim. This is one if you're taking notes. Jesus makes a claim that only he can make. Think about that that claim he made. He said, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. See, this is a remarkable claim. And how can Jesus say this? Here's how. This claim is rooted in the fact that with Jesus' death as a sinless person... He was the sacrifice that paid the price and penalty of sin and death. And and the curse of that over us was broken. Because of that, the authority over sin and death now belongs to Jesus. Now that should get us stirred up to say amen. All authority over sin and death has, has been given to Jesus. And that is a massive statement. Matter of fact, if, if you're here and you have been a bit of a skeptic around faith, here's what I want to challenge you with. I really believe this. The truth of our entire faith is rooted in the, in, in the factuality of one event. Did or did not Jesus raise from the dead? Because if he did, if a man died and raised from the dead... That, whatever he claims, that is worth believing. If he didn't, we are wasting 90 minutes on Sunday morning. We could be um, making appetizers for the football game. All right? And if you're at home doing that, keep, keep cooking. I might come over to your place. But, but all of our faith, it's actually rooted in that. Is that true or is it not? If Jesus rose from the dead then he broke the curse of sin and death on our behalf, living a perfect life, then we have great hope. If he didn't, we're crazy and the skeptics are right. I choose to believe that he did in in another sermon, another teaching. I I really believe um, if, if you opened your ear to it, you would believe as well that Jesus factually raised from the dead. That is the center point of all of scripture. Now, Because he did that, he's got authority to say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
And then out of that, he can give a command. But first, I just want to, I want to point to one thing in the church that I think really relates to this topic well of us being the church. See, in, in the church, we make a great deal around the power of testimony. And that's a great thing because in Revelation, uh, John wrote that the, I think it was Revelation. That, that actually could be wrong. Um, this is what happens when you have a 24-year-old pastor. I, I may not be right on the reference to that scripture. But, but scripture says that the enemy is overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And many of us in this room have a testimony. And what a testimony is, it's a story of what we witnessed. And, and for our testimony, it's just a witness of what Jesus did in us. And we make a lot of testimonies, but many skeptics would say, hey, the thing that happened in you, that could happen in other ways. Uh, one testimony that I can't help but think of, and I try to weekly reference uh, you, is Mike. Mike's got an incredible testimony. If you haven't heard Mike Fox's testimony, we actually just had him on the podcast uh, what was that, like two or three months ago? Mike shared his story, powerful story of someone who was living in the world, was not on a good path. Jesus found him. He encountered Jesus, and, and Jesus did something that only he could do because of the authority Jesus has over sin and death. And, and what did that look like for Mike? Well, Mike, Mike got free from alcohol from drugs, and from a lot of crazy stuff in the world and got free from a bad path he was on. Is that right, Mike? See, Jesus set him free. Now, many skeptics would say, that's great for Mike, but I can just go to rehab and, and I can break the addiction. They can help me break the addiction of drugs and alcohol. Or uh, maybe you're not a, maybe you struggled and you haven't been a good parent. The truth is you can go to counseling and they are going to give you some skills that are actually going to help you become a better parent. That is true. And so when, when people outside the church say, hey, um, I'm glad you got your Jesus crutch, but there are other ways that you also could get better. That's true. So some people would say uh, many more now than ever before. And I started yoga and, and it really helped me be more patient with other people at work. That can help you be more patient with people at work. No, that's true. Some would even go to other religions, right? Many go to Buddhism and they discover this like inner peace. And, and because they have that inner peace that they find this peace within themselves, you know, they actually on the outside will become a little bit of a better person. Now, we've got to reconcile that, right? And, and here's, here's how we do so. You know, I had, a, I had an essential oils joke right there that I decided to pass on about how it helps you. Here's the reality though. Those, those testimonies in the world, they are all about what we do. I did this and therefore it was better. I did this, therefore I'm no longer addicted to this substance or to, to gambling. I did this and maybe even uh, my family got healthier. Here's what is incredible about the claim of Jesus and the fact that he has all authority over heaven and earth, is that when Jesus does something in us, it is not at all about what we do. Our testimony is that Jesus was broken on my behalf so that I can be free from sin and death, and that curse will be broken over my life. 
It's entirely different. Like that is Mike's testimony. It, we get caught up in the grandeur of, oh my goodness, Mike was, Mike was this horrible guy. And were you, was he a rough guy, Jessica? A little bit? Okay. Uh, and, and all of a sudden he stopped the alcohol and he got better. But you know what? That wasn't what did it for Mike. Did it help on the outside? Yeah. But, but Mike encountered Jesus. And because of that, because of his authority over all of heaven and all of earth, we were redeemed. And, and even when we have a powerful story on the outside, we got to remember our testimony when we stand before God someday isn't going to be, I said yes to Jesus. It's not even going to be, I got free from drugs and alcohol. I got free from sin. No, 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 no. 100% at the end of time, when we stand before God, all we can say is a third person claim that Jesus has all authority. Jesus died for me that I may be free from my sin and death and I've put my faith and trust in him. Amen. Thank you to two people who just said amen. So that's the power of Jesus' statement. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So as soon as he states that, as soon as he's got that authority, what does he say? He gives his disciples a command, and that's the command for us today. He says, go therefore, therefore in referring to his authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So because Jesus has all authority, he gives his disciples this command. Most simply stated, Go make disciples of all nations. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about that phrase, go make disciples of all nations. And first, I just want to state that many sincere believers have struggled when, when they've looked at, hey, what does God want me to do? And they filtered it through that phrase. As simple as it is, they've struggled with this, that if, if I'm going to obey the Great Commission... I've got to go to all the nations, right? I've got to, I've got to become a missionary. I've got to go. And if not, I'm not sure I'm being, I can be obedient to this commandment. And Jesus may assign you to other nations. I look at some people in this room that I know Jesus has assigned to other nations and they've gone and they've been obedient and great things have come of that. So, so I don't want to speak down to that in any way. Uh, even as a church, 10% of our income, at least 10%, it's actually more, goes to missions in the nations and places not here. So I want to be clear, Jesus is calling the disciples to the nations. But what we've got to understand, for those of us that are here, we are planted, rooted in southwest Minnesota. God has called you here. Um, when Jesus says nations, remember, he's talking to 11 disciples in the context of a time when, when the gospel, when the good news of Jesus hadn't gone out to the world yet. Like, it was right there. That was the starting point. So when Jesus said the nations, I think what Jesus was saying is take it to Asia. Take it to Africa. In a time they didn't even know the land existed, take it to North America. Take it to South America. And because of that, we've got to understand when Jesus says the nations... He's pointing his disciples eventually towards Southwest Minnesota. Like we are the nations from what Jesus was saying in that place. Does that make sense? 
This actually comes to the title of my sermon today, and that's this. We are the church. Send me here. Send me here. See, Jesus said, go. But sometimes we, we, we either let ourselves off the hook or we have insecurity in the command to go because we think, if I can't do it here because he said, go to the nations, go to the nations. Listen, Jesus said, go make disciples. And, and here in Southwest Minnesota, we are in the nations. One more thing that I can't miss in that, right, is you're, you're not off the hook just for inviting people to church. I'm sorry, his command was not that simple. That's great. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus didn't say, uh, bring people to Victory Church so that Pastor Mike and now Pastor Matt can make them disciples. He actually calls us to do the work in ourselves. Because why? We are his temple. We are his dwelling place. So that's, that's the second big observation. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, a claim no one else can make. He says, go make disciples. It's a command that no one else can give. And, and the third thing is, is most beautiful in all of this. Jesus provided the comfort and confidence that only he could give. Jesus said this, after giving an incredible command that was going to resonate through thousands of years, he says this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, Jesus didn't give us a commandment and said, all right, someday I'm going to come back and I'm going to check on how you're doing on your work. Uh, I, I hope you do a good job getting the this message to the nations. I hope you do a good job because someday I'm going to come back and I'm going to grade it. That's not what he said. He said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, the beauty of this commandment from Jesus, it's like if, if you had a test in school and the teacher gave you a test and they're going to sit down with you and help you solve it. That sounds pretty good. See, Jesus didn't, didn't just send us for a test. He said, I'm going to help you. I'm with you always. Church, this should inspire us to say, I don't have a, I don't have a God who's far off. He's actually with me. He's actually helping me fulfill this command. Let me tell you, there is no other relationship. There's no other God. There's no activity. There's no possession that can give us that assurance that Jesus gave right there to say, I am with you always. For some of us, that is actually all, uh, you came to church today, that is actually all you need to hear. Because you've been living life on your own. And Jesus said, I am with you always. No matter your circumstances, Jesus, Jesus offered this to you. Will we take hold of it? So that's the Great Commission. Jesus, Jesus gives, Jesus claims an authority that only he could claim. That's verified by the work of the cross, but it's verified by a resurrection. Jesus gives a command that only he can give because he has that much authority. And then he gives a comfort and confidence that only he can provide. So you may say, Matt, that is great, exegesis. 
what do we do with any of that? Well, I promise to get practical today, and that's what we're going to talk about. So how do we obey the command, go make disciples? We go make disciples. That's how we do it. We go make disciples. So what is disciple-making? The disciple-making is this, and we can look at what Jesus did to determine it. Disciple-making is when we find someone else that's not a follower of Jesus, and we invite them to follow Jesus with us. It's very simple. And as this calling goes, it's actually, it's actually more simple than we can imagine. Oftentimes it's easy to say, what am I called to? Where am I supposed to go? What's my assignment? See, Jesus only called people one way. He called them to himself. So disciple making is, is finding people and bringing them to Jesus. What does that look like? Uh, there's a few, few uh, key elements of discipleship I want to point point you to today. Number one, it looks like developing relationship. Number two, it looks like dialogue. Three, it looks like demonstration. Four, it looks like doing life together. And five, it looks like doing it as Christ's body, as a church. So in, in each of those, man, the first one, develop relationship. This is how we make disciples. Some of us have, have grown up in a time, and I'm not, I'm not putting down on this, but we, we've grown up where we said, hey, if I'm going to tell someone about Jesus, I've got to like trap them at Walmart and say, hey, can I give you a gospel track? There's, there's kind of some secrets in here that I think are going to be interesting for you. That's not bad, right? But, but um, that's not what Jesus was talking about when he said making disciples. And, and some of us have, have done this, hey, can, uh, would, you like to, would you like to come to uh, my house on Sunday morning? If you come over at 10, we can start prepping breakfast. Some of you have maybe trapped a friend into coming into church with you. Now, that is not disciple-making. All right. We don't do this by trapping people. We do it through relationship. See, God really set us up for this because he designed us for relationship. God put a need inside of us for relationship. That's, that's how when I got to know Olivia, I just desired relationship with her. God put that in me. That wasn't anything anyone else gave me. And it really is a setup because that's how he assigned us to do discipleship is through relationship. Uh, the next one is dialogue. See, if, if I if I think that I'm going to be close to Olivia, my wife, and I'm not going to talk to her and spend time dialoguing with her, I am crazy. First off, marriage is not going to go that well for me, to be honest. Second off, I'm not going to find myself close to her or pointing her closer to Jesus. Because discipleship, discipleship can't work without good, healthy dialogue. So what do you talk about? You just talk about life. Paul, Paul demonstrated this when, um, when he said this in, to the church in Corinth. Just be imitators of me, just as I follow Christ. Just develop relationship with people outside of this church that don't know Jesus. And when the time is right, talk about Jesus. Invite them to church. It's actually quite simple. Maybe you, maybe you actually need to just bring some scripture into it. I'm not saying be weird. We don't need to be weird, okay? But, but Paul did say that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, 
rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. Listen, you don't need to be really good at rebuking, correcting, teaching, training, and righteousness. Scripture will do that work for you in discipleship. You're off the hook. You don't have to teach someone everything to make a disciple. The the next one is demonstrate. It it refers to that same thing I said from Paul. uh, Follow me as I follow Christ. Just imitate me as I imitate Christ. When we are a follower of Jesus... We demonstrate what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. Are we going to be perfect? No. But as the church, we are called to follow him. People around us will see that. It's much like my three-year-old. Yesterday, uh, this morning in the car, uh, Olivia snapped at me a little bit. And it was warranted. You know, it was warranted. And and my three-year-old quickly reminded me, even though she didn't have her story tra- straight, when I said, Liv, that wasn't very kind, from the back seat, Elie says, Daddy, she since said, Daddy, you did that to Mommy yesterday. And I was like, you are right. And she didn't have her facts straight. She actually said, Daddy, you screamed at Mommy yesterday. She was pretty adamant. I didn't scream, but um, she, she she's watching is what I'm saying. In, in discipleship, people will watch you. They'll see, how do they act? How do they behave? Is that something I want to follow? That's how we represent Jesus. That's how we do discipleship as the church. Uh, next thing we do is we just do life together. Again, discipleship doesn't just happen in your life group. Discipleship doesn't just happen in a small group. It doesn't just happen in this room. Discipleship can be done in the grocery store. It can be done... Uh, at Thanksgiving dinner, Lord help some of our families. It can be done there. It can be done uh, just taking your kids to school in the morning. It can be done in the car. It can be done in the workplace. There are many places. Wherever you find yourself, you can disciple people. And then finally, it can be done on the golf course. No, I'm just kidding. It can be done with your church family together. When we do life together as a family, it brings community into it that people could come and see, hey, this is not just this one weirdo who's talking about Jesus. There are more people who see this. Maybe there's something to this. And in in that sense, we can follow Jesus. So who is it? It's our friends. It's our coworkers. It's our kids. It's our families. Discipleship is not for an exclusive group. It's for all of us. And here's why. is because at one point, you were not a follower of Jesus, just like me. Someone discipled you. Someone made you a disciple. And if we have that treasure in Jesus and we keep it to ourselves, how selfish of us. Someone else gave it to us. We should be passing it along, making disciples as Jesus commanded. Worship team, you can come on up. We're going to just close in a song of worship. If we are the church, Victory Family, we aren't just called to this as a body. We are called to this individually. Because like we talked about last week, we are the temple. Jesus uh, came to abide in us and work through us. But as Victory, we can do this together. It's, it's a, it's an individual thing and it's a group thing. It's not an either or, it's both. We can do it together. And, and that's how we are the church. You know, after Jesus died, 
he, um, the, the day after he was raised, so he died. Three days later, he raised from the dead. I believe it with all my heart, by the way. He was raised from the dead. He um, appeared to a few people. And, and at that time, uh, at first he, he appeared to a woman named Mary. And, and after he appeared to Mary, Mary went and told the 11 disciples that eventually Jesus was going to give this instruction to. Uh, and she ran and told them, and they were all together. And because there was so much chaos going around, because of the scene Jesus had stirred up, and because of his death, these guys weren't out boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They were hiding. Matter of fact, um, John says that they were, they were in a locked room, shut up together, and they were just talking about what was happening. Mary came, she has seen Jesus, and she told them, Jesus is alive. Did they go out and spread the good news then? No, they didn't. Now, this incredible thing happens in John 20. I just want to read it, John 20, 19 through 23. So when it was evening, on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. So somehow, Jesus came into this room with the doors locked. Miracle. Somehow, he appeared there before them without coming through a door that was, that was locked. What did he say? The same thing that he, the same sentiment he gave in his command. He said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side where he was pierced. So they knew it was him and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So I just want to I just want to emphasize this point from this verse. These were 11 guys who were really afraid. They were in a room together. Let me tell you, they didn't have the freedom we had to share faith. And, and they said, we're just, they didn't know what the next step was. They were just staying there. They were just staying together, keeping the message inside. They, they knew Jesus was alive now. They were still in that locked room. Let me tell you, the real miracle that Jesus did was not coming into a room where all the doors were locked. It was getting those guys out of that room. Those fearful guys out to spread the good news and to send it out to the nations. See, in discipleship in the church, most of us, we get this. We get this as our command. But for some reason, we're keeping it to ourselves. We're not always being the church and spreading the good news that we have. I just want to invite the Lord to do a work in this place and do a work in our heart. That he would do the same work he did with those 11 disciples. That when they were just keeping it in the house, keeping it together, they were afraid. Somehow, Jesus inspired them and broke the fear they had. To where they followed his command and they went out. Let's stand together. Lord, I just ask that as the people of Victory Church, Lord, as this family, 
Lord, would we understand your command so clearly that fear would be silenced, that the fear of bringing disciples unto you would be broken off of us. Lord, I say for myself, I'll leave that locked room. I've got good news to share. Lord, I want to go make disciples. I want to follow what you've commanded. I've got two calls for us today. Some of us are in this place and we are not yet disciples. I just want to invite you, if that's you, the Lord sees you. He's not mad at you. He's not mad that you haven't come yet, but today you have an opportunity to say yes to the greatest gift, to say yes to the man who has the authority over heaven and over earth. See, he broke the curse of sin and death that was yours. Because he came, because he lived a sinless life, and because he died, that that curse of sin that separates you from God, it is broken. And because of that, we can approach his throne with boldness, and we can follow him. So my first call today is, man, if you're in here and you are not a disciple of Jesus, I encourage you, say yes to the free gift. Jesus called it rebirth. He told, he told, uh, he told a guy, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to have a restart in your soul where your spirit man actually comes and is born to life when Jesus comes and lives in you. If that's you here today, I just want to invite you to say yes to Jesus. To say, Jesus, I recognize my sin and I recognize my need for you and I give my saving faith to you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you rose again from the grave. And Lord, I put my faith and trust in you. If that's you today, I encourage you, make that step and become a disciple of Jesus. It is the greatest choice you'll ever make. My second call today and just a reflection for the rest of us as we worship is this. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, pray for those that the Lord may call you to make a disciple of. Maybe as we sing, you'll just have some names come to mind or people you can think through that that you know they're not following Jesus and you know you've got good news for them. As we close, let's pray for them. Through this next song, you can sing or not. Let's pray for those people. And then let's pray, Lord, would you give me the boldness you gave those disciples to leave that locked room, to leave behind the fear of, of approach and, and go create a disciple. What if we, as a Victory family, what if we in this room, you know, you look at our numbers, we're probably 160, 170 strong today. What if we all went and shared with three people the good news of Jesus? What if one of those three people gets it? Man, God would do incredible things in our community. And what if we repeated that again and again This is what the Lord has called us to. So I just want to invite you to pray, God, send me here. I hear your great commission. I hear the commandment. I want to obey. As we pray, let's worship together. In the crushing, 
God, I came here with nothing but all you have given me. Oh, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Lord, we just ask that we could have the grace to hear your word and obey it. Father, I just... Thank you for your word, Lord. I just thank you for the simplicity of your command. Go, make disciples. And Lord, I just thank you that you said you are with us always, even to the end of the age. Lord, I as we go together, Father, into the world, into the nations, Lord, would you go with us? Would you go before us, behind us? Would you be all around us? And Lord, most importantly, would you be in us? Lord, we say together, Lord, you can fill us and do what you want with us. Father, I just thank you for the Victory family. I thank you for the opportunity you give us to impact this community. Lord, would we be good stewards of the voice that you've given? And would we go and be obedient and make disciples so that your name would be made great among the nations? Jesus, we love you. We bless you. We thank you. And together, all God's people say, amen and amen. Well, go and be blessed this week. Make a disciple this week. Invite somebody to church this week. And let's go and be the church together. Have a great week, everybody.